This week on The Cynical Optimists. Time manipulation in the Tenet trailer. Timeless branding for Xbox. And we go a long time ago to a galaxy far, far away in The Rise of Skywalker. Hello and welcome to the Cynical Optimist Podcast, pieced together from a book of Mad Libs. I am Phil. And I am Nick. This is the show where we ask the audience for a job role under location, and then we play out a scene where we talk about the TV, film, and gaming news of the week. And then for our encore act, we discuss a recent release or popular topic in the industry. This week, as you might expect from a podcast that has spent multiple episodes <laughs> covering it, we are talking it's about cats. the right. Yeah, we're talking about cats. Surprise! <laughs> we even titled this "The Rise of Skywalker" just to trick you. Let's talk about James Corden as a cat. <laughs> anyway, how are you, Nick? All ready for Christmas? I'm, I'm nearly ready for Christmas. I have one. No, I have two more presents to buy. Just to uh, put a bit of a timestamp on this, so you can know how late Nick's leaving it, it's uh, the morning of the 22nd at the moment so not, you know... Yeah, but we briefly discussed how how many people you should buy for and then I just kept adding names and I was like, oh but that person might get me something and it's just... Yeah. It's a, it's a spiral. I think I'm, I'm going to have to veto sort of work colleagues and stuff next year, but sorry for listening. It's very difficult when you've set, set it up a set, like when you've done it a previous year to then move to not doing it. Yeah. Because then you're like, every subsequent year, you're like, but what if they do? <laughs> and that ends up, you know, then you end up just doing it again next year. Yeah. Uh, unless you just write on your gift tag this year, uh, and this is the last one. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> the last in the saga. <laughs> Phil, you know who Stephen Moffat and Mark Gattis is, don't you? I've heard of them. You Have you seen the new trailer for Dracula? It's, well, that's not one that's come out this week. I've seen a trailer for Dracula, but I think it might have been just the announced one. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, now they've done a sort of uh, a full-length TV trailer. Um, looks pretty gory. Production value looks pretty good. Mm. Um some CGI, some real special effects. Yeah, I, I think it could be could be quite good. It's, again, we just need to rely on good writing, really, because um, they've got the product. They've clearly got the production budget, but that's not always an indication of a good show, is it? No. Uh, well, no. first two seasons will be good. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think it's New Year's Day. It releases. It's the same. I think it's uh, yes, yeah, the same evening as as Doctor Who. So one after the other, I imagine, on BBC One. Yeah, I mean, it would be a wise move from what Stephen Moffat because mm. um, you might not believe it listening to us two talk, but there are people that remember his time on Doctor Who fondly. So mm. lining it up to go just after Doctor Who would possibly be quite a good idea. Mm. Uh, I'm, I mean, if it's on, I was going to say if I'm watching Doctor Who anyway, I'm going to be like most of the population be like, yeah, might as well. 
Might as well carry yeah. on. Yeah. Keep this party going. Leave the TV on. Yeah. Keep this party going. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it could be good. Um, again, I'm <laughs> I'm very cautiously optimistic about anything these two do now. Mm. Um, was a bit tainted by Sherlock. Uh, is this modern day? No, I think it's I think it's old school, isn't it? I'm not sure. It looks it looks pretty old school. I mean, it might look old school, and then they might make it modern day anyway it's or they, or they might do one episode in the modern day yeah <laughs> and it turns out he was on ketamine the whole time or something I don't know no no it will, um, the, the season finale will be that it turns out that actually he was in the modern day the whole time but then the next <laughs> season opener won't explain why it will just say that you're <laughs> stupid for asking <laughs> uh, no exciting times <laughs> What I'm more excited for than this is the Top Gun Maverick sequel, uh, well, Top Gun sequel, Top Gun Maverick, because we've had a new trailer. We didn't discuss this last week, did we? But I think it came out literally after we finished recording last week. There's always at least one thing that comes out as soon as we finish recording, isn't there? Yeah. This looks really good. So we got a new trailer, full length trailer, as well as a behind the scenes featurette, which explains how Tom Cruise wants to kill all his co-stars by sending them up in real fighter jets and experiencing G and all that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think um, the, the most difficult pill to swallow, which the film is just like, accept this and then we'll get on with the movie, is that, mm. what, like 30 years later he's still in the exact same role and the exact same squadron flying, like, jets. With the exact same yeah, young Yeah, rather face. than retired or promoted or demoted or just moved on to a different career. I wish they did some um, some Clooney esque grey streaks, maybe in his hair either side. That would have been that would have been cool. Uh, no, but he wouldn't have allowed that, would he? It'd have been like, no, 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 no. I'm st- I might be a bit older, but I'm still only thirty five. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it looks it looks pretty incredible. I love I love a bit of real effects, don't you? Mm. Yeah, no, it's and um, good stuff like that. Yeah, there's uh yeah, I don't know if you saw the behind the scenes feature out, but he's all like, Yeah, I wanted to experience this for real and get all the G and then his co stars are like, Yeah, we threw up like on every take <laughs> And then t- Tom Cruise obviously like hired these people and was like, Yeah, you've gotta do this for real, otherwise we're not doing this. I was gonna say he's probably been able to call all of the shots though, hasn't he? There's not exactly a top gun film without him. At one point you see sort of an old timey propeller plane, um I think that's that's Tom Cruise's own plane, and yeah. So I mean, <laughs> he's had such a say in this. He's a producer, actor, probably wrote it. Let's be honest. But good on him. Yeah, I mean, if it's like, if you can make money just being like, I'm gonna go fly around in some really fast planes, and yeah. these people basically do whatever I say because I'm the one that's making all the money. <laughs> You'd abuse it as well, probably. Yeah, at least it's all—he's it just doing it all for real. Mm. Um, yeah, good on him. Another new trailer that came out this week was *Tenet*. I did see which this. Is yeah, *Tenet* backwards. It's a—it's a timey wimey thing, isn't it? it? Seems so. Like the trailer does plays well not to give anything too major away. There's just mm. a few key parts that make you think it's. 
reversing time, I want to say, or... Yeah. Very, very strange looking, but it's... Um, yeah. You can tell almost from the uh, the establishing shots and the soundtrack that it's uh, Chris Nolan. Yes. Oh, yeah, I don't know if I mentioned... Yeah, it's the new Chris Nolan movie. So we get a pretty new cast. We get, obviously, Michael Caine return, mm-hmm. and Kenneth Branagh, Kenneth Branagh returns from having done Dunkirk. But then we get Robert Pattinson. Um, yes. Oh, we've got we've got a few sort of new uh, crew names as well, which is quite interesting for Christopher Nolan because normally he uses the same people most times, doesn't he? Yeah, we we haven't got um, Hans Zimmer doing the um, score anymore. Now we've got uh, Ludwig Göransson who who's done Black Panther, Creed, oh. uh, the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian quite recently, and the. Uh, DOP Hoyt Van Hoytema, who's who worked on Dunkirk with him, but before then it was Wally um, Fitzer. So yeah, this is this could be a, a pretty ambitious new thing, which I'm very much looking forward to. Oh, uh, John David John David Washington as well from um, Black Landsman, um, leading the cast as well, who's yes. incredible in everything. But no, um, yeah. Chris Nolan's not known for doing things in half measures, is he? No, <laughs> and this definitely looks like he's been like, "What if this?" And then has gone like <laughs> full hog with it. So, no, it looks interesting. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see a Chris Nolan film in twenty years where he's just gone the most possible pretentious he could possibly do. He'll hire actors to burst into the cinema at certain bits. Yes, will be the <laughs> ultimate immersive experience. Because there's <laughs> Tenet as well was very that trailer. Uh, was very much like see this trailer in the cinemas to get the full experience. Yeah. So I can see it being one of those ones that gets all the little things of the cast and crew saying nothing quite like the cinema experience. Yeah. Go watch it in a cinema, please. Go watch it in a cinema that projects in seventy millimeter real film, or you're not enjoying it as the full experience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it does actually say that at the end of the trailer. See it in thirty five mil or seventy seventy mil. It's yeah. I mean, surely. What a pretentious man! I was going to say, but, surely only like a handful of cinema girls are even going to know, because a lot of them are just <laughs> everyday folks. Like the cinema will just be like, "Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 presented exactly as he says. Roll the digital copy." <laughs> what do you mean we haven't got an IMAX projector? <laughs> we have, of course, we've got an IMAX projector. You won't know the difference. <laughs> We need to know it's more expensive. Yeah. Did you see all those memes where watching Dunkirk the way Nolan intended? No. Oh, okay. There was one where someone was watching it on the, you know, the, the iPod Nano that could play video. Hmm. Someone was watching Dunkirk on that, and then the caption was just like, watching Dunkirk the way Nolan intended. <laughs> see, I, I like that, because that meme, I think, comes back whenever, like, with, with a few things. I think most recently, though, it's been The Irishman. Because after obviously all that stuff about Scorsese and all that, all these people are like, I'm watching Scorsese the way that, um, <laughs> no, watching the the Irishman, not watching Scorsese. That'd be creepy. I'm watching the watching Scorsese the way the Irishman intended. <laughs> I'm watching the Irishman the way that Scorsese intended in 17 parts whilst I'm hiding in the toilet from my kids. <laughs> uh, incredible. Um, but yeah, no, I'm not going to take the piss out of Nolan. He makes incredible films. Um, really excited for this one. I think it'll be fantastic. 
Right, what we got next? Um, bit of J.K. Rowling news. Not going to linger on this one too much. But basically, she's just tweeted... This isn't actually anything to do with Harry Potter lore for once. Mm. But she's now tweeted... Um, hashtag I stand with Maya. Hashtag this is not a drill. This is in relation to a lady who stated that there are, are only two genders and biological sex is a real thing and, and basically J.K. Rowling has now come out and defended her which is kind of out of character um, immediately after she tweeted this there was a, a pretty viral tweet from um, one of her fans who said like look Harry Potter was my escapism as a child because it kind of taught me that I could be whoever I wanted and now you, you've defended the people who make me feel scared and the people who make me feel unwanted etc um this is yeah it's not a very pleasant piece of news but no it's kind of it's kind of the, the final confirmation we needed that jk rowling is a bit of a <laughs> bit of a nasty piece of work who puts on a very liberal front from what i understand as well it wasn't such a case of this person getting fired for saying there are only two genders i believe it's they weren't doing their job properly because they refuse to acknowledge anything other than that and yeah. that's a very important distinction to make because it's like the um like the lady in America who wouldn't who even after it was um gay marriage was made legal still wouldn't marry gay people and got fired for it and everyone mm -hmm. was acting as if that's like a big injustice no you just weren't doing your job properly therefore mm -hmm. you were fired yeah um and as for JK Rowling she's this isn't the first time the mask has slipped with some no. of her kind of like less liberal views so I'm not 100% surprised it's just very disappointing for a whole generation of fans especially mm. the real hardcore ones that kind of grew up hanging off her every word well I mean that's it's confusing to me because like surely she knows that LGBTQ is like such an enormous part of her her fan base and her following Hmm. Well, um, a few years ago, it was um, this kind of same situation played out with. Uh, not sure if you saw, but with Graham Linen, who is the writer of shows such as Father Ted, Black Books, the IT, IT crowd. crowd. He, he, yeah, I did see something. Yeah, he's quite vocal on Twitter now. Is quite a massive um, anti-trans voice, and that I think had the same effect because, like. Obviously, we all grow up on his various comedy shows, and like his shows are still very well written and very funny. It's just mm. always a very disappointing moment when you're like, oh, okay. Mm. And it's that kind of separate art from the artist thing. I think in some cases, it's a lot easier than others. Yeah. I think the problem is as well, mm. separating the art from the artist, but the last... The last Fantastic Beast movie was fucking awful as well. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean that doesn't that doesn't help. <laughs> no, <laughs> and also like I don't know. I think I, I think it has been quite obvious for a while how little she actually cares about this section of her community because it's all very well and we've spoken about it endlessly. But but saying Dumbledore was gay in hindsight is is all very well and good. But then if you don't actually put it out there in in the bold art form that it or that should be cinema, then, then what's the point? Well, yeah, it's just like whispering to some of your fans, like, "Don't worry, he really is, even if he doesn't show it." 
yeah. and like <laughs> pretending that's as impactful as having it on display for everyone in the audience to see. Hmm. It's just very yeah. It's very cynical, isn't it? Because mm. obviously the main reasons, um, the main reasons that it hasn't been displayed in full force in the films or in the books is 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 purely a marketing, money making, opportunistic thing. Um, so yeah, very very sad. Anyway, let's move on to something a little bit lighter. Uh, Cats seems to have bombed at least in reviews we don't really know much about its um, financial state at the moment because it's only just released See, I've heard that like it's not so much it's bombed in reviews people are just like they're weirdly fascinated by this disaster they've just witnessed like it, it's not <laughs> like you know crimes of Grindelwald bad or it's just like it's boring it's confusing stuff like that this is just like they're fascinated by how it's gone so wrong I think that there's a good chance it might end up a cult classic. Mm. I reckon in in 20 years' time, people are going to say, "Did you ever see that weird 2019 movie, Cats?" You can only find it now in certain um, skips, <laughs> like the ET game. <laughs> but yeah, in a similar way to how what we got, um, I don't know, like the Fifth Element. Like I think is a pretty terrible movie. Don't at me, but I feel like it, that's the kind of movie that becomes a cult classic throughout time, and I feel Cats might go this way. But at the moment, it's currently standing on nineteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's an aggregate score of one hundred and eighty reviews. Audience score is a lot more generous, sixty-two percent. Mm. So there's a chance it might still do well. I haven't, I can't confirm this, but uh, according to Screen Rant, uh, Universal has notified theaters that they will be receiving an updated version of Tom Hooper's Cats movies with some improved visual effects. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this because they basically it's basically a video game patch for a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen anything about this. Um I work in a cinema and th- th- I haven't had any communication from Universal about this, but that doesn't mean it's not happening because mm. obviously it might it probably will take a little bit of time and it might be worth it if they can get it to cinemas within the next within this kind of uh, festive period where people have got time off and whatnot. If they can make it in time, then sure. Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. That's as you said, it's a bit like a video game, and it's the first time it's kind of ever been noted. I mean, the the mo- the, the the next most similar thing I can think of to, uh, is is the the recutting of all the money in the world, where they replaced Kevin Spacey with Christopher Plummer, like a few weeks before release but this having the film already released is yeah pretty much completely unheard of yeah it's, it's strange isn't it you got to make got got to wonder whether it's like they just just missed something in in the post production suite or it didn't render <laughs> properly cuz i've had that with before <laughs> yeah but yeah it's very strange well i i haven't watched the movie yet but i've i've popped in i've put my head into the screens and watched a couple of scenes and I think the most I think when they're when they're standing still it's not horrific but then as soon as they move the faces kind of don't quite track properly with the bodies and that's that's the thing that really make, takes it one step creepier. I mean I'm not <laughs> saying the des- I'm not, the design is far from good of the cats themselves but you know that doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, it's like a multi-million dollar experiment gone wrong really, isn't it? Yeah. All gone very right, depending on your view. Again, there's a there's a I think there's a fair chance this might end up as a cult classic. Mm. But who knows? 
So this week, probably because it's close to Christmas, there's been no real major stories to dig down into. So let's just do some headlines. We're going to start with some follow-ups from uh, stories we've reported from throughout the last few weeks, and then we've got some fun product stuff later on, which is going to be interesting, to say the least. <laughs> For some last-minute Christmas shopping. <laughs> I mean, some people might love some of this, so I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna diss. Uh, so let's start with a headline that just made me raise an eyebrow and laugh a little bit, which is uh, Microsoft returning to simpler Xbox branding for next-gen hardware. So this is from hmm. GamesIndustry.biz, and my immediate thought was Xbox Series X is not a simple name. But what they kind of mean <laughs> well, by it is that, like, the stylization of Xbox Series X is Xbox is in big, and Series X is almost like the subtitle. Right, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think I heard something about how Series X might not be, like, the main console itself. It might be, like, the a, a sort of product line within Xbox. Well, they've, they've been playing around with this idea for a while, because you had the Xbox One, but then you had the Xbox One S, and you had the Xbox One X... As like different versions of it, hmm. but does this mean that the title of the actual console is going to be even longer? Like it's going to be Xbox Series X One, <laughs> which is just confusing after a certain point. Like <laughs> because my main thoughts with this and my main concerns is that in, with game consoles, unlike stuff like iPhones, which all run on a very common architecture. Hmm. Uh, if you don't get it right, then people just get confused. Uh, I'm looking at my Wii U here specifically. That <laughs> because it was called the Wii U, people thought it was just the Wii. Then they thought it was yeah. just, you had to have a Wii to buy a Wii U. <laughs> then people were still buying like Wii U games for their regular Wii and complaining they weren't like compatible. Yeah, that it's just yeah. um, like there's probably some long longevity that you can get. From setting this kind of system up. Hmm. Well, if they're moving towards diskless and hmm. online stores and streaming and that kind of thing, then would that matter as much anyway? It's very true. And if they have, like, almost like, if they make your Microsoft account like your Steam account, hmm. and you can, like, bring the games with you from each system, hmm. then yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it still won't overtake what is probably the simplest branding in games consoles which is PS1, PS2, PS3, PS4, and next year PS5. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a couple of pros just chucked in here and there. Yeah. So next up, uh, obviously the Google Stadia is now released. I've not really heard much about it since its release. However, this mm -hmm. week, uh, Google has purchased the developer Typhoon Studios to work on Stadia games. Hmm. So we were saying um, at the time of its release it needed exclusives. It does sound like there are some in the works, and this studio will probably be working on Stadia exclusive games. Do we know what Typhoon have done before? Let's have a quick look. So, Typhoon Studios haven't done much, to be honest. So, the developer was... Oh, so it's ex-EA staff, uh, with some staff from Warner Brothers, Montreal and Ubisoft. So the kind of the pedigree in it is uh, the director of Far Cry 4 is heading up the studio. Alright. The Game Awards 2018, they presented their trailer for their first project called Journey to the Savage Planet. 
mm-hmm. uh, which hasn't released yet. It's releasing next year. Right. So exclusively on Stadia now. <laughs> possibly, yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting. Like when you think, well, Far Cry Four is quite a big game, and that's quite a lot of um, veterans of different major yeah studios. So, well, clearly they've got some talent there that Google wants hold of. But this is what they this is what they needed like a year ago. Clearly, Google listened to the Cynical Optimist podcast where we recommended having exclusive titles. Yeah, they were like, oh, that would be a good idea. Maybe we'd have sold more copies at launch. You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) Our consultancy rates are high. (laughs) I was going to say a figure, but I didn't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how much consultants charge normally, so... Yeah. Um, A lot. You know what? Go out on a limb. It's a million pounds. An hour. An hour. Yeah. And that's each. So don't... And we have to come as a pair, so think of it more as two million per hour. (laughs) Anyway, so now uh, in the continue on and following up on other stories, uh, we have a Fallout 76 story this week, but it's not, you know, like... A disaster for a change, which is quite nice. It's just Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, <laughs> it's just that Bethesda have finally started showing off um, a bit of the very large update that's coming to Fallout seventy six, which is going to add NPCs and quests back into the well, not back into the game, into the game. Wow, I know. So basically, that this is the update that will make it a Fallout game. And they're sending round canvas tote bags with everyone's credit card details back in there and they're going to give them back to you <laughs> and it's going to include all the stuff they promised so many years ago. Todd Howard, head of Bethesda, has got some reindeer hitched up to a sleigh <laughs> and he's going to be going to all the good boys and girls' houses and giving them their canvas bag and a nice apology letter for their identity being stolen or whatever. <laughs> no, it's fine. It might be a case of too little, too late, but... At the end of the day, I think this a lot of this might be just damage control, so that when it comes, people buy Fallout Five. Hmm. Well, you never know, because I think games have. I'm going to refer to Battlefront. I'm going to refer to Battlefront. Um, games have launched with negativity before and, and managed to like reel the fans back in hmm. um, by doing some great stuff and developing some great stuff prior to the game's release. So you never know. Yeah. Very true. But we'll have to see. Um, maybe this new update will turn off the sun or something like that. It'll, it'll do something. <laughs> because Bethesda can't update the game without breaking something else. <laughs> Next up we've got... So have you watched any of The Witcher, by the way, on Netflix? I have not, no. I've watched the first episode. How was it? It was alright. Apparently, the from what... I, I read a few reviews and apparently the first episode is, like a bit weaker than the rest so I'm, I'm willing right. to give it another go with the second one there mm. were times when it very clearly seemed like it was just trying to rip off Game of Thrones I mean they're both fantasy worlds at the end of the day mm. the best bits were when it really leaned into its kind of witcher mythology mm. uh, so there's like a fight scene where you can see him using like his witcher powers and it's got some good action scenes in it and like Love him or hate him, Henry Cavill is doing like really good work. Like the voice mm. he's putting on is almost like identical to the voice in the games. Oh really? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and he's just he's just he's really bringing like a good performance to it. So I'd be willing to give it another chance for a second episode. But anyway, this story's not about that. It's about this. So CG CD Project Red, so they make the Witcher games, have just got in place a uh, a new agreement with the author of The Witcher, which is a Polish author called Andrzej uh, Sapkowski. I want to say I've probably butchered that. Very sorry. <laughs> so basically, they had a bit of a disagreement over money and kind of the agreement they had for that, just because of how much money the Witcher games had been making, and apparently he didn't have a very good royalties contract. But they've got a new agreement in place, and it kind of secures everything for the foreseeable future. So it means that there may be. But obviously that keeps the door open for more Witcher games from CD Projekt Red in the future. Which I cool. believe the games take place after the books and the Netflix show is based on the books. Right, okay. So really what they're doing is creating more content for the Netflix show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got about four or five seasons just from The Witcher 3, so... <laughs> uh, next up, Luigi's Mansion 3 is getting... Uh, DLC in 2020 oh. so it's got it's kind of multiplayer mode where you like go through mansions as like a group and like clear them out but it's getting like more stages more maps more challenges for its multiplayer so it makes me think a lot of Pikmin 3 on the Wii U which had similar it like hmm. and it's adding more costumes as well like the one on the marketing is Luigi with a massive quiff which is quite funny <laughs> and there's Luigi in a suit of armour so Nice. One of the things that's come up is like, why don't they just add other characters? But no, everyone is Luigi or Gooigi, which is like the goo version of Luigi. Of course it is. That's the rules. <laughs> now a story for uh, story for the festive period. Um, Santa hats are popping up in Death Stranding. So. This is an update to Death Stranding. May I remind you of the game that won Best Direction at the Game Awards just like last week? <laughs> yep. That adds Santa hats to random characters. Just nice. just for the Christmas period. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of fun. that's kind of it. It's like purely aesthetic, but fair enough. See if you can get Mads Mickelson with a Santa hat on. <laughs> So this next one, I think we talked about maybe last year. Do you remember me talking about an Atari retro console? Yes, I do. With the, and it just spells out the word Atari, right? No, that's Capcom. Ah, uh, no, in that case, no. Ah, uh, well, to be fair, the Capcom one is very rem- memorable because it just spells out <laughs> the word Capcom. <laughs> anyway, so this is a new retro console... And this one is confusing me a bit because it's a retro mini console, but it's going to be having new games brought to it. But surely the new games need to be sufficiently like retro. Hmm. But this is what leads us into the story from Destructoid, which is that Atari is offering 88% of revenue to exclusive their consoles called the VCS games. So this VCS is a retro console, but from what the article describes and what the description of the console describes it's getting new games is this maybe um, a sort of um, 
an attempt to kind of establish itself as one day being a proper games console for to go up against modern consoles. I don't really know what Atari are up to because obviously they've not been in the console game anyway since like the 80s. Yeah. Um, what are they up to? But yeah, it says like from the article it says Atari have said that developers can start making games for the VCS right now using the Unity engine and standard Linux tools. Um so it must the the hardware must be pretty decent to run hmm. Unity games. At the same time if it's going to be like one of those old joypads with just like the stick and the two buttons then I'm not really sure what hmm. you're going to do. So it makes me think whether it's going to be like because there's quite a number of retro style games nowadays, like Shovel Knight and so forth, mm. whether it's just going to present itself as like the home for those. Yeah, possibly. For people who want to make retro style games. But then I can't really think of anyone. Like, as much as an 88% revenue share is really generous, you're kind of committing your game to be exclusive to this really obscure retro console. Hmm. So. But again, if, there, if, there, yeah, if there's enough demand for it, then. And. and if you, if you pre- if Atari presents it as the sort of only option, um, other than running it on a PC or whatever, but the fact that you could run it on your TV, um, I don't know. Yeah, it could be. It could just be, be that it has a really low price point because it doesn't have to be as powerful because of the way it's marketing itself. Yeah, and maybe this is a also another way of. Again, I think like maybe maybe they want to sort of establish themselves a bit and gain a bit of brand traction as a as a serious gaming. Device, I don't know. Yeah, very, very strange. Well, we're talking about it, so it's getting reported. <laughs> and if we're talking about it, so's the rest of the world. Uh, the console releases next year, so be interesting. Sounds fun. They weren't content with just releasing like their old games in a case that looked like their old console, like everyone else said. <laughs> taking it somewhere different, which is always interesting. Yeah. Now, so, after a few weeks where we've had nothing, we've now got a bunch of stories about stuff that you can go out and buy either today or soon. First off, probably the most expensive one, is that the Nintendo PlayStation prototype will be auctioned off in February. So, if you're not aware of how the story goes, uh, originally Nintendo and Sony were going to make the PlayStation together, So the PlayStation, the original prototype, was basically a Super Nintendo with a CD-ROM drive attached. But basically during the late late 90s, it must have been, mid to late 90s, uh, they had a massive falling out over it. So instead, Sony, rather than back off, said, well, we're going to make the PlayStation anyway. And Nintendo, a bit uh, embittered, you know, a bit bitter about it, like, well, we're going to make the N64. And look where they both are today. Yeah, and they're both still battling it out today. It's a very interesting story because it would have taken the whole games industry on a completely different trajectory if they had made this kind mm. of partnered console. Like it'd been interesting to know whether it would have had it. It would have lasted. Mm. Like whether we'd be on what Nintendo PlayStation Four with both me and you owning it and being able to play both Spider Man and Mario. <laughs> So yeah, this is the prototype Nintendo PlayStation, and it's going to be auctioned off in February. The owner has said he's turned down million-dollar offers for it in the past. Wow. So it's going to 
sell for quite a lot. So some biggest sale, so just to give some context, the biggest sale of like retro collectibles has been for a copy of the original Mega Man that reached an eye-watering $75,000. Jeez, so and this will smash that. This will easily smash that. So this is um, uh, reported by Kotaku. But basically, the um, the man who owns it is saying that he's turned down some offers, but now he's ready to to basically pass it on to the next collector and cash and out. And of course, this won't... I was going to say this would be a collector thing. This won't be something someone's going to play and stream to YouTube, is it? <laughs> I'm not sure it even... Like, because the architecture inside would be like a r- weird mix of Nintendo and PlayStation, so... Yeah. Not sure it'd even play anything. But yeah, it's... Uh, oh, sorry. It's about no, it was 1991 that the project was cancelled, so it was quite early in the right. 90s. Hmm. It just obviously took a few years after that for Sony to make the PS1, and then Nintendo went and made the N64, I think, in 96. Hmm. So yeah, if you've got a spare few million lying around, Nick, that's a good Christmas present. <laughs> or this. So have you seen the thing about Pokemon shirts? No. So I'm actually going to send this link to you over Skype. Peek behind the curtain. We record on Skype. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've said that before. Uh, so I've just put that in the chat window. But basically, these are 151 different shirt designs. Customizable in the collars, the pockets, the sleeves. And they're all made Ooh. to order. They look beautiful. They do. Do you know how much one roughly will cost? Made to order? Yeah. I don't know, £100. Very close, $100. Huh. But they do ship to the UK. So I really like those. The thing is, they look really neat. Yeah. But I can't. Why did you send me this? I couldn't justify (laughs) spending that on a shirt (laughs) at the moment. (laughs) But yeah, there's 151 different designs based on each of the original 151 Pokemon. Some of them are quite um, overt, like I'm looking at the website now and the Magikarp one is just a lot of Magikarps. I think that's gorgeous. There's a nice uh, blue and brown one that keeps turning up, but I don't know what Pokemon that is. Well, it's really interesting when you flick through because there is a there is a um, uh, a page on the website which has each of the 151 Pokemon. If you click on them, it'll show you their design. And some know. of them are really nice and subtle. Some of them are really like, this is the Pokemon just over and over. And they're all made by different people. Oh, those Hawaiian shirts are gorgeous. I'm going to configure mine. (laughs) I've just basically spent all of Nick's money. (laughs) But yeah, it's quite an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, It's a bit out there, in a way. Yeah. To be like, look at this, Pokemon shirts. Um, I will, yeah, maybe I'll include the link in the show notes if anyone else wants to go buy themselves a Pokemon shirt for Christmas. Yeah, please. There's a nice, um, who's this guy, Tentacruel one at the moment that's coming up on, on my screen. Hmm. I want to find this blue and brown one. Sorry, folks, don't mind me. This is all Phil's fault. If it suddenly seems like the podcast has cut, it's because we've been here, for, we're going to be here for 15 minutes whilst Nick buys a shirt. <laughs> I'll, I'll just I'll just wait here, just prepping my my next few news stories. That's cool. The uh, the Voltorb one is just kind of Pokeballs. 
Yeah, no, like, I, I went through a lot of the designs yesterday. There's some of them that I was like, actually, that'd be pretty cool. Other ones, I was like, that's a bit too much, like, I'm just wearing a Pokemon shirt. <laughs> yeah, I like the sort of more abstract-looking ones. I love a good shirt. Anyway, let's, uh, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> a whole two hours later, Nick is now broke. <laughs> but he has a fancy new wardrobe of Pokemon shirts. Anyway, so, to go with those Pokemon shirts, I already know what you're thinking, Nick. Go on. You're thinking... I need some gaming socks. Because <laughs> that's all I wear normally. I just normally wear a shirt and socks. Yep. I skip all the other bits. So this one you definitely won't be looking at for quite as long. But you have to see these uh, official Puma gaming socks. Oh my god, they're hideous. Uh, they are. They look like... <laughs> um, you know those things you put on your feet to go like um, do water sports? Yeah. They basically just look like those. Yeah, they're not very nice. Do you know how much those will cost you? 50 quid? 105 dollars. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, and it's written in such a cheesy way as well. So it's marketing says it's designed for indoor and in arena use. Right. Seamless comfort, but says it's features and benefits it's got medial wrap-up grip in seek mode right lateral wrap-up support in attack mode <laughs> what is this heel wrap-up stability in cruise and defense mode it doesn't have where's the button on these i think they're just slippers so they don't have modes <laughs> I don't think they don't have I don't think they have literal modes. Wow. I think somebody who'd never played a game before was asked to write a marketing page for gaming socks. And that's what, what they came up who with. Who uses who uses their feet for gaming? I guess car racing, maybe. Yeah, but car car racing, surely you've already got your like leather gloves and driving scarf. You don't need the socks as well. No, I mean I mean like a like Gran Turismo or something and you've got the pedals and the steering wheel set up and everything I was, I was being serious just like wear your, oh. <laughs> your leather driving gloves your driving scarf your goggles yeah those are those are not very nice are they not at all absolutely not at all that's another that's another gem on YouTube which is more dislikes than likes oh did you watch the video yeah I'm on the I'm on the the actual YouTube page now Top comment. Does it come with dignity or do I have to buy that separately in microtransactions? <laughs> uh, oh dear. So that has been the uh, the Cinequatmas uh, Christmas gift guide for 2019. <laughs> Another comment. Another comment. Will it receive updates while I sleep or will I have to manually download those? <laughs> anyway. So, the final news stories I've got lead directly into our conversation today. So, this is all about the Fortnite Star Wars event. So, oh, yeah. one, there apparently was a, um, a streaming session where Mark Hamill played Fortnite with Ninja, who's one of the biggest Fortnite streamers in the world. Which, I don't even play Fortnite, but I'd watch Mark Hamill play Fortnite. What a guy. Uh, and also, so... Minor spoilers for the um, 
for the Rise of Skywalker, but there is a event referenced in the opening crawl which happens in Fortnite but not in the movie. I saw this. <laughs> um, so I've watched this clip and I've heard the heard what it is, and apparently it's just they recorded the audio and had nowhere to use it in the film. So I'm like, let's play it in Fortnite. But the important thing to highlight from this is Fortnite is a part of the Star Wars canon now. Well, I was going to say this this Star Wars film they finally managed to do the impossible and they've brought product placement and and into a universe a long time ago in a galaxy far far away because there's also been a collaboration between uh, Doug Chang who does the concepts and stuff for all of these films as uh, uh, between him and Porsche. So now there's a Porsche spaceship as well if you look closely in in the Rise of Skywalker. How do they do it? I know they've done it. They've done those madmen. <laughs> they were so uh, so um, driven by seeing if they could do it. <laughs> they didn't stop to consider whether they should. And then now that they've slowly sort of drip fed wider product placement in the next Star Wars movie, whenever that may be, we're going to get the full on. Could you pass me the Microsoft lightsaber, please? Blue milk? No thanks. I'm a uh... I'm a Heineken guy. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, we've just had the last ever Star Wars film. The last one ever. 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 Such a shame. They they only started in 2015. <laughs> and now they now they're just over. It's 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 the end of an era. It's it's yeah, it's yeah. The end of an era. The saga ends. The films that define the 2010s. Yeah. Um no, it's the last of the Skywalker saga. And even then, I think that's probably a bit loosey-goosey because it doesn't mean it's the last even of this time period. It doesn't mean it's the last featuring any of these characters. Just the last in the... Yeah, anyway. It's done. What did you think of Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker? It's very difficult to not go into spoilers, but it was... I liked it, but it was a mixed bag of stuff. Hmm. So, usually, as people have listened to this podcast before know, my opening line to, like, lead into the episode is based off whatever we're discussing that week. Mm. And this week it still was. At times, it did feel like the script was just taken from a book of Star Wars Mad Libs. Pretty much, yeah. It's, um... And just, like, strung together. Um, we'll get in, get into the details in our spoiler review, which will probably be sooner rather than later, because I'm not sure how much there is to discuss without starting to ruin... Well, spoil stuff. We can briefly discuss, like, let, let's let's do an overview of this film. So it's J.J. Uh, Abrams has returned to direct and write along with Chris Terrio, um, known for Batman v Superman. Um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> who says it's convoluted? Um, but anyway, yeah, J.J. Abrams returns, and I, I think we've we've gone back to a kind of Force Awakens esque style of. A lot of nostalgia, even nostalgia for films that you only saw in 2015, which I thought was a bit odd. Mm. Um, a lot of nostalgia, very quick editing, very quick cuts, glossing over a lot of stuff, which made for, again, like Force Awakens, it's an enjoyable movie, lacking somewhat in depth. Yeah. I've, I'm, I'm going to try and make this review easier. I've put in front of me a little pot of money which I'm going to call the compare jar which is like a swear jar but it, it you have to put money in there every time you compare it to 
another film. And I've already done Force Awakens, so I'm just going to put pot one in there just just to kick us off. Um, mm. <laughs> because I want to try and keep this review as, as focused as possible about the rise of Skywalker rather than comparing it to other entries in, in, in the Star Wars universe. But yeah, what did you make of it? it? It's just like... It was... Out of The Force Awakens, I kind of knew how I felt. Put a coin in the, the compare Jedi jar. Kind of, I'm putting one in for you. I was going to say, what, what happens to that money in, the compare, in that compare jar? Do we get the money from each other's comparing? Uh, sure. Because you just go ahead and start comparing. <laughs> Compared to previous iterations, I was probably the most like... What did I think of that movie when I left? Mm. Like, it's so confusing at times. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. Um, and I, I wanted to rewatch it before doing this review. I almost went to go see it last night. Yeah. But I couldn't be asked to go out, so I just watched The Last Jedi again. Everyone at work keeps asking me like, what I thought of it, because they know I'm a massive Star Wars fan, and, and therefore my opinion is, is a high one. But, like, I... I have to just tell everyone I was like I don't know <laughs> I don't know what I think about it um, I don't, I... the individual component bits mm. which we'll get into in spoilers I know I liked or I didn't like mm. the film as a whole is such a confusing mess mm. but it also had cool bits in it yes it was literally lo- like well I was reading an interview with Chris um, was it Terry Terry yeah where he talked about the process of writing the film, and apparently they did literally like write down everything they ever wanted to see in a Star Wars film, and went from there. Feels like that, doesn't it? It feels. And it literally, yeah, it it feels like a Star Wars fan film. Yes. But like one particular, fa- two particular fans, and these fans are J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio, and people always people give the last film like grief because. That was me. I I knew you were going to do that, even though I didn't say the last Jedi. <laughs> because Rian Johnson made what he wanted to make in a Star Wars film, but at least he was like, "How can I make this different?" He wanted to make like the next Empire. Yeah. Whereas this was just like, they weren't even thinking in such grand schemes. They were just thinking like, what would be a cool set piece, and then we move on. Yeah, basically, and and yeah, what do what do people want to see? And uh, I mean, I think inevitably... I mean, you could tell from early trailers that this was going to kind of retcon certain events within... Does this count? Well, the thing is, you've got very, you're, you're being very liberal with the comparison jar. I feel it's very difficult to um, review, review the third in a trilogy without at least <laughs> referencing the first two a little bit. Yeah. Um, by the way, I, I, I re-watched The Last Jedi um, prior to watching this one, and... I think, given time, it probably stands up a bit better as a film compared to the last time I rewatched The Force Awakens. <laughs> because The Force Awakens relies a lot on nostalgia, and once that fades, you're kind of left with something a little bit hollow. Whereas, re- having rewatched the other one, um, there are sort of themes and, and messages and stuff which kind of hold up on its own without necessarily having to refer back to previous ones. And, yeah. And, yeah, the film... I'm right in saying that The Last Jedi is still longer than The Rise of Skywalker, isn't it? Yes. But it... Like, as much as on initial watchings it made it seem a bit long, 
there were bits when I was rewatching it. I was like, that was absolutely necessary mm. because you get those that long sequence of like Ray uh, practicing with the lightsaber around the rock, mm. with like the panning shot and the music playing, and it felt like nothing was. No individual shot was held for as long as that shot was in The Last Jedi in The Rise of Skywalker. The Rise of Skywalker could have done with being an extra 30 minutes long. Yeah, I agree. So they could have actually realised a few of the the better concepts. Yeah, I was going to say, because I feel like as well they they introduce elements that they weren't necessarily... I don't necessarily think they were aiming for when they wrote the... And, and, and I think it's on record that they wrote The Force Awakens a little bit hastily. Um... Because obviously Disney wanted to make use of this property as as soon as they could, um, mm. and I don't necessarily think that the ideas presented in the Rise of Skywalker were, can date back to when they wrote the Force Awakens. So let's let's go over a few things that were good. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, this is John Williams' probably final Star Wars film, and he does a fantastic job on the score. I have to actually just pick up on that briefly. I I can't remember any themes from this one specifically I remember remixes of basically the old themes <laughs> yeah exactly that's the thing is that like I, I remember there were certain tracks oh, I'm going to run out of coins there were certain tracks in The Force Awakens like the first time you hear Kylo Ren's theme the first time you hear th- Ray's theme and then in um, uh, The Last Jedi where you hear um, like Luke on the island and then like mm. the spark which is the track that plays over Luke and Leia's reunion slash him going out and facing the first order I think like there's tracks that like jump out yeah. whereas I think this I can't because it's this is like a sort of best of compilation of Star Wars and that's probably the best way to describe the film yeah exactly it's it's quite safe it's it's cosy there's some weird, surprisingly similar moments to Avengers Endgame at times, which we'll go over in spoilers. Um, it it just kind of... It's so... I don't know, I, I found it safe. and Yeah, no, the thing is, those, those people who cynically... Well, actually, those people who correctly said The Force Awakens was just a new hope again. Mm. And then I think rather cynically, and it's a bit of a reach, said that The Last Jedi was just... Uh, Empire. Mm. They're gonna have a. They're gonna have no issue saying that this is just basically return. Yes. <laughs> just because of certain. There's a lot. That was a deep leveled comparison for you. Went kind of. I'm spending all your money. Yeah, Inception levels of comparisons there. But what I liked was the fact that this, is, and this is basically due to how the Force Awakens set the pieces up. Hmm. This is the only film in the trilogy where you get an adventure of the main three together which I actually quite liked yeah that was fun and I liked there's some kind of there's some kind of Indiana Jonesy type sort of uh, looking for totems well, looking for plot points actually is, is how I would describe it but either way it's quite MacGuffins. a fun kind of Mac- yeah MacGuffins yeah. is quite uh, but it's quite fun um, seeing those three sort of the core cast interact yeah. properly for the first time as a trio um, and performance-wise, I think I think all these actors have matured a lot, and I think Daisy Ridley, especially in this one, has has come a long way since The Force Awakens. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Um, but of course, I think the highlight of 
of this entire trilogy is probably Adam Driver and yes. no different in this film in that he makes everything believable and heartfelt and you can see his pain throughout all of these films and I think he's definitely probably for me the highlight of this um, it's weird when I think back um, you might as well just empty that pot when I think back to The mm. Force Awakens uh, Kylo Ren was probably the bit I found least interesting in that film it was the really? last Jedi that gave him the depth and the character and to mm. be honest in part of that was that very early scene where he gets like insulted by Snoke and destroys his mask in frustration Yeah, it's a very powerful scene uh, which gets undone in this film <laughs> like it's in the trailers yeah he glues it back together and then he wears it for like one scene and then takes it off again hmm I think um, I think maybe the mask does does mean something because we finally get to see the Knights of Ren who were hinted at in I've actually run out of coins we're going to have to stop the compare jar <laughs> and as we've as we've established we can't do a review of, of this film without referring to other films but no we finally get a sort of um, the Knights of Ren who are hinted at in The Force Awakens and I wanted I think, to talk about the Knights of Ren but it'd be spoilers so I'm going to have to I'll, I'll remind you about those but yeah I think like Kylo Ren putting on the helmet is kind of to make himself seem tougher when he's leading the Knights of Ren and again I I also having thought on it for a few days and having watched the Mandalorian up to where it is now I think Star Wars and to be honest I work in a cinema so I see exactly who who's going through the doors to see this kind of film and yeah you get the midnight screeningers who, who come in but they're not the midnight screening people aren't the core audience of a Star Wars film no the core audience are families kids and people who who have now grown up with this trilogy and you know you and I grew up with the prequels which I, I think is kind of it's aged well for us because it's what we grew up on and we kind of we loved Star Wars as a kid because mm. we saw the Star Wars prequels in the cinema yeah like we if, if the Star Wars prequels hadn't come out where they were when they did like you and I probably wouldn't be the fans that we are now and that's true I think I think it's easy to look at Rise of Skywalker and say oh well it's not exactly what I expected whatever but films every single film is, is made to get audiences in and I think if, if it's doing that and if new kids are getting excited into Star Wars because of this then yeah maybe it's not for us maybe it's maybe it's for a new generation so. yeah that's very deep yeah. that's very true <laughs> and I think what I was saying with The Mandalorian is they're still I think Disney Plus and, and streaming services generally are quite a interesting new platform because that can be where you put the niche stuff that can be where you put the stuff for the fans mm. and that's why Rogue One and Solo weren't particularly big movies because they maybe they maybe they weren't designed for cinema because what kid is, is going to be like oh I want to see the origin of that old guy who appeared and got stabbed in The Force Awakens like <laughs> It's, for them it's just not going to mean as much and, and same with Rogue One Rogue One feels like a very niche film and when it came out people were confused they were like oh where's Rey and where's Kylo Ren and stuff so I mean like maybe Disney Plus is the platform for all that but 
Star Wars cinema releases as we know it, maybe that's where you put the fun stuff that isn't going to confuse people. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, it's very true. This this will bring in a new generation of fans, and won't it? Hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's very well said. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Been thinking on it for a while. Should we go on to spoilers? Oh, just before we do that, um, if you had to give this a ranking out of ten, I've gone conventional. Thank you. I, I was gonna get annoyed if you'd done some weird method again. Um, out of ten, we'll do the like series rank at the at the very at the end of spoilers. But out of ten, I struggle to give it much above a six and a half. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think I'd probably put it around that kind of point. Like, I, and that's the thing, I didn't, for the most part, enjoy it. Yeah. But there were some bits that were weird, some bits that were frustrating, some bits that were a bit pointless. It was. Yeah. It really was like throwing everything at the wall and seeing what stuck. Yeah, and I feel like if it wasn't quite as safe, and if they just changed a couple of bits, I think it might have even gone up an entire point or so anyway let's do spoilers there's a few bits if they'd changed it it would have probably changed the film for the better but they were basically they were just doing what that's what the people wanted yeah anyway um, if you'll check the show notes to skip to the end if you don't want spoilers go see the film and then let us know what you think about it at Synopt Podcast on Twitter we're going yeah, into spoiler, spoilers. Spoilers. Spoilers in five, four, three, two, one. Big spoilers. Do you want to start, Shly? I was going to say, just leading on from my last point, I think. Do you think it would have carried a bit more emotional weight if Ray had accidentally killed Chewie? And they rolled with it. Ah. <sighs> Possibly, yeah. And they don't even let that sit for very long. No. It it's it sits for a scene, and then you see Chewie's alive and well. Well, plus you see clips of Chewie and Lando flying the Falcon together from the trailers. So. That's very true. Yeah, I don't know. I think it. I don't know. Maybe I think it would have added a bit of complexity to Ray's character, and because she doesn't. Okay, there's one kind of evil thing she does do in this film because, oh yeah, she's the granddaughter of Palpatine. Sheev oh. Palpatine. <laughs> um, and at one point she stabs Kylo Ren, which, but then heals him. Um, but I like that scene a lot, actually. Um, but that, that's the kind of one evil moment you see in that entire entire film. Um, so yeah, what, what, what did you think of, the, of this, the Sheev reveal? I'm going to keep calling him Sheev. It was so, so interesting when she wasn't coming from an old Star Wars dynasty. Mm. Because then it made her this outsider who was disrupting the status quo and disrupting everything and Mm. having to find her place in it all. And that gave her a real good journey. And it's as that old interview with Rian Johnson said, he wanted to give her the answer that was the most devastating for her character to hear. Yeah, and that's for somebody who doesn't know her own past to be told that she doesn't actually have a past like she's got nothing she's not connected to this in any way and then they're like 
Oh no, she's a Palpatine. <laughs> Therefore, everything makes sense now. Yeah, because yeah, I I actually agree. Um, and even though I think I was shocked at the time when the Last Jedi presented us with again, I've I've worn out the the compare jar. Um, I was shocked at the time when the Last Jedi both in within the sort of same scene even gives you the reveal that Snoke well Snoke dies and then um, Ray doesn't have a familiar parentage and I think like it that's not necessarily the last Jedi's fault I think it's kind of the Force Awakens set up a lot of yeah um, uh, what's, what's the word it set up a Loot lot boxes. of um, well yeah that's the thing it's J.J. Abrams in his mystery boxes mystery boxes yeah I think if a lot of people blame the last Jedi for following through with things that were set up in the Force Awakens like for example Luke Skywalker as one is probably one of the most contentious mm. but the Force Awakens establishing as someone who ran away to hide on a distant planet and also ends the film with him like ragged and old on a cliff top and then gets mad that the last Jedi has to think of a good reason why yeah <laughs> like it's just and this brings me quite neatly back round to the Knights of Ren Hmm. Which was the most pointless addition in this entire movie. <laughs> they literally do nothing. Yeah. They walk around a bit. People go, look, it's the Knights of Ren. They go to that desert planet. They get Chewie. And then they turn up at the end. Where they, they just all get killed by Kylo. Yeah. <laughs> like, they have no depth. They're just... They're just a redo of the of the guards... From the last oh, the Jedi, just Praetorian not as good. Guards. Yeah. Well, I heard rumours as well that the Praetorian Guards might have been the Knights of Ren, but obviously not. Like that was just so pointless, and you can tell that yeah. was literally just a ticker box for people that were upset that they weren't in the the last Jedi. There's a lot Jedi. of box, box ticking in this movie, which kind of made it a little boring at times. Um, okay, so okay, another decision. I I I'm not gonna. I'm not going to just sort of list things that I think the movie should have done because I mean who are we to say but mm. I would have I would have found it interesting if Kylo lived yes. I think the fact I think the fact that he died just kind of mirrored a bit too much of Vader whereas I thought it would have been a slightly more interesting twist if it hadn't just followed Return of the Jedi and that Kylo lives and lives as a Jedi even though he's got a kind of traumatic past where the Jedi failed him and Han and he killed Han and I, I don't know I think it, it opens, may have made a more opens the scene for a lot more of a redemption arc doesn't it yeah whereas I, I he's just assumed been... to be redeemed just because he helps out in that final moment and then he dies hmm and it's not I mean it's not even inherently clear why he dies I, I know he gives some life form to Rey in order to save her because obviously she can give a bit of her life force to save the serpent and then save Kylo later on in the film. That was a cool new force power to display. I know obviously it's an established one, but mm. it was an interesting one to focus the movie around. Mm. But yeah, no, I I don't know. I think it would have been quite interesting to see them both survive, and it would have it would have changed it from the sort of the Vader ending as well. Um, I want to talk about the last shot of the movie, which 
went on record from I think it was Kevin Smith who said JJ Abrams invited him to come and see the the location and the setting for the last shot of the entire Skywalker saga and in the end it's um back at the Lars homestead on Tatooine hmm. which it apparently Kevin Smith it was said it was JJ Abrams said it would blow his mind I'm not necessarily sure that's true because before Disney bought Star Wars, the very last shot of the Skywalker saga was already the twin sons at the last homestead on Tatooine, because that's how Revenge of the Sith ends. It's very true, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I think even in the marketing leading up to this, they kind of tried to make it out as if this was going to be a very, like, I don't know, bold movie that full of twists and turns and stuff, but I, I I found it very safe the entire way through. Yeah, right from the... Because <sighs> even, even the return of Palpatine is literal. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very, very safe. They just... Yeah. And this is something they've taken straight from Legends as well, isn't it? Yeah. Palpatine goes to... Palpatine has clones, he goes to the edge of space, starts building this armada of de- uh, Star Destroyers... And then he starts to attack which, the which each have a Death Star in it as well. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, we're back to planet destroying weapons. Yeah, and as well, as much as they, not all of them, hit home. The Last Jedi at least had new ships. We are back to A wings, Y wings, X wings, Tie fighters, and Star Destroyers, yeah. and the Tantive Four comes back. Yeah, <laughs> like that's been the most disappointing thing possibly for me about this entire sequel trilogy has been the lack of interesting new ships yeah oh yeah no. and and general sort of production design I think yeah generally the production design has been good mm. and it's I don't I don't blame because I think yeah I spoke briefly about him earlier on the show about uh, Doug Chang and I think he's got a great imagination I follow him on Instagram and some of the stuff he like posts there which is the unused stuff I think is just gorgeous whereas I think the directors and the producers have said no keep this keep this similar please yeah like now we're literally back to Imperial Star Destroyers yeah yeah it was um uh yeah it's just like there's just disappointing stuff like that and to continue on with just like the little bits that were I want to try and keep this positive as well because like I said I did mo- for the most part enjoy it so okay, let's go positive next and I'll go back to criticism well I was going to say like that again what I said earlier is that we can moan about it all we like but again we're not we're not the intended audience are we no at the end of the day uh, yeah it's a, it's a sci-fi film intended for children hmm and it works <laughs> it's it fun. does which to be honest, links to my next point, which is getting all the voices of all the Jedi in. Yes. Which I thought was good. And I actually stayed to look at the credits to see exactly who they got in. It was all of them, wasn't it? Even Liam Pretty Neeson. Much. And, yeah. yeah. And Samuel Jackson, Hayden Christensen, Ian McGregor. Yeah. That. I was a bit disappointed there weren't any Force ghosts, but I can understand why you wouldn't. Yeah. Like, I was imagining something akin to Return of the King. Let's talk about the. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Should we talk about those endgame moments? Do you think it was coincidental that there was a moment where. The all is all lost. The other, all is lost. All the ships turn up at once to say, on your left, <laughs> to Poe Dameron, basically. 
Yeah, and did they did all these thousands of ships all follow Ray's path? No idea. Also, the moment in Endgame was quite impactful because you know who the other all characters are. Yeah, in I think yeah, you can tell who Lando is, you can tell what the Falcon is, you can spot the Tanti five, four, whatever it is. But all the other ships are just like, well, what the fuck are these? I know there's a Porsche in there because of their product placement, but mm. <laughs> all the other ships are just kind of randos and and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was just well, one the whole like path to Exegol thing was really confusing to me anyway. Mm. Because that like red electricity storm only seemed like it covered one side of the planet, so you could have just gone round it. Yes. To then all these ships turn up because they they go to great depths at uh, great lengths to show the rebels having to meticulously follow this path. Yeah. And then like a thousand ships show up and they're like, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> but then you know that's nitpicking a bit. Um, and the other end game moment was, and I am all of the Jedi. Yes. That was pretty cool though because he was like, I am all the Sith. Because he was like, it confirms a lot of stuff about the Sith, like absorbing the consciousness of like their brethren or whatever. Yeah. Definitely. And then she's like, no. And I did like the symbolism, the fact that it was Luke and Leia's lightsabers. Yes. Yes. So do I. But again, to if you wanted to confuse the film a bit less, why didn't you just make one of those lightsabers Luke's green lightsaber? Yeah, because we don't, that, that just doesn't show up. Well, that only shows up in flashbacks, doesn't it, through this entire trilogy? What the, oh, the loop lights have, yeah. Because surely it's on Acto somewhere. Yeah. Plus, um, obviously, then you have to explain a, another thing. This, this is the thing, it's just there were so many like explanations in this one film that if they planned properly from the beginning and like left notes for Rian Johnson and then... Originally, it was supposed to be Colin Trevorrow, but if they left notes for the, the next two films and planned this all in advance, which I don't think they did, then they could have had a, a very interesting... Uh... No, it kind of confirms to me that The Force Awakens was just written to set a lot of stuff up, safe in the knowledge that J.J. Abrams wasn't going to have to actually do anything with it. He was just like, <laughs> and... he could just set stuff up and walk away. It's like farting in a lift. Yeah, <laughs> and then Kathleen Kennedy shoves him back in that lift. Yeah, it's like, no, you have to smell this the same as the rest of us. <laughs> um, do you think it was coincidence that those very endgame moments happened in this film? Not... Because mm. the thing is that all the ships turning up at the all is lost moment is a is not just an endgame thing, is it? It's, no. There's been a lot but there of were films thousands like that. That's quite ships. a common trope, isn't it? Yeah. Because even the other Avengers films have that moment. Yeah, but there were thousands of ships. Hmm. And I thought the line at the end was just kind of a cool response to him being, I'm all the Sith, and she's like, yeah, well, I'm all the Jedi. And actually, there's a theme in this. And to be honest, like the Rey and Kylo stuff was probably some... I saw your tweet from the Not My Star Hmm. Wars Twitter account. Um, The Rey and Kylo stuff was some of the better stuff. And that includes, yeah. like, you know, your family doesn't define you. Yeah. Because... That's the thing, is that I think the most interesting thing I found about this movie was Ray and Kylo's storyline. And I think because there was so much going on, 
and the fact that they had to cram three movies worth of like overarching plot into one movie essentially I think just distracted a lot from that because I just oh, Adam Driver and Kylo Ren from the beginning to the end of this movie and from the again more The Last Jedi as well than The Force Awakens but the the sort of the redemption arc I think was beautifully handled and I loved I loved the Han Solo cameo to be honest I think that was actually one of the the better nostalgia trips from this film yeah um, well that's how because it. it's they say isn't it he's like this is just my memories it's not even like a ghost or anything like that it's yeah it's Kylo in his head doing what he should have done back on Starkiller Base. Yeah, I think the the mirror of that scene actually I, I that was the most emotional I got in the entire movie was when I don't know what I have to do. I know what I have to do, but I don't know if there's the strength to do it. And then he just launches that lightsaber into the sea and it just Oh beautiful. Hmm. That that was my highlight of the movie. I mean this is just a side note, but at the time I didn't actually know how he was gonna get off the second Death Star. I was actually slightly I actually slightly thought that was just gonna be the end of Kylo Ren's arc for the movie. He was just gonna be on the second Death Star until someone went and got him. Right, yeah. Because he was just kind of st- there's a few shots of him just kind of stood there being a bit like Well shit. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wish Kylo lived. I think I think it was a bit unfair after the redemption arc that he got I think it was a bit unfair to to kill him because ultimately like he didn't even approve of Starkiller base and he didn't approve of the sort of mass slaughter and, and everything well, have, you s- have you seen the the most recent retcon that the comics are doing no uh, that Kylo didn't even kill all of Luke's students right was it the Knights of Ren who were no it was apparently um Palpatine. Oh, really? Because everything bad that happens in the sequels has just been retconned to be Palpatine. Right. So he emerges from the rubble, because obviously he crushes him and Luke. Yeah. And lightning has struck the um, Jedi Temple and killed a bunch of the students. He gets confronted by some of the the others and who, like, think it's him. Yeah. Even then doesn't kill him. He just, like, like, don't don't try it. Yeah. And then just runs off. Yeah, I think I yeah I think it's a, I think it's quite disappointing that they had to kill kill Ben, but oh well, not my movie. Mm. And yeah, that that pretty much sums it up. Is that we're 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 now the bitter old men who who used to complain about the prequels. We're now we're now that generation. Well, the f- the Rise of Skywalker was still better than at least two out of the three of the prequels. Probably three out of three. <laughs> just by the fact that people are acting well yes but yeah there's just so much there's so much movie in this movie yeah they go on to a star destroyer to rescue Chewie and like that's only like a ten minute bit yeah and that that would in another film be like an entire arc an entire what did you think action. about what did you think just lastly what did you think about the um the Skype lightsaber battles which I famously pitched in our pitch episode 8 uh, Cynical Optimist podcast, do you remember that? No, I don't remember you pitching it Yeah, you know, I said uh, Luke and Kylo ha- I pitched I mean, Luke if and we're Kylo talk- have- We're talking about people predicting things 
I predicted that Hux would turn on them. Oh yeah, to be fair. <laughs> uh, which I thought I felt he got seriously sidelined in this movie. Yeah, for sure. I liked Richard E. Grant. He looked like he was having a good time. Yes, but I did. I did. I I think that was one of the the threads from the Last Jedi that did get picked up and really paid off at the end. Like when she puts the lightsaber behind her back and then brings back her hand. Yeah. And he pulls out from behind him. Yeah, that was cool. And all of the Knights of Ren take a step back. Like, I. Yeah. yeah, I think that was really good. I think there's a little bit of like, how many mini lightsaber fights did you need throughout that film? Yeah. But it was flips. really interesting. More, more, more flip, like prequel era flips in this one, which was which was fun. Hmm. So, just to wrap up, how would you rank the Star Wars Skywalker Sorry, saga? One more thing I have to mention. Oh, go on. Does Finn have an arc in this movie, or is he just there to run after Rey? Like nothing. He doesn't really seem to do anything. He just is. I think or, he has an arc. I think. I think. He meets other he, people like him. Well, and he and, and he's force sensitive, to... and because he believes by the end of the movie, whereas I think he didn't really believe in what he was doing for the last two movies. So I think I think. But that was kind of his arc in the Last Jedi. That's that's when he gets to his. No, I you disagree. You will always I think... be scum, rebel scum. Kind of, but I think at the end of The Last Jedi, he's more like Poe at the beginning of The Last Jedi, in that he's he just wants to get in a ship and blow things up because he thinks that's the solution to things. Whereas, I don't know, I think like he's more at peace and he believes believes in it more in, in this film. Hmm. But anyway, go on, what's, what's your definitive ranking? And oh, it's not did... definitive because... The, the... There's no such thing as definitive, and as I said, I watched The Last Jedi recently, and I, I had a really good time, so I mean, there's no such thing as a definitive ranking on these. I was going to say, like, it will probably change every time you re- recount it. Um, yeah. Same with me. Okay, so from the bottom up. Yeah. Attack of the Clones. Yeah. The Phantom Menace. Uh-huh. Solo. No, I'll just do the saga. Just do the... um. Okay. Oh, just those three. Um, no, no, just do the um, the Skywalker saga. Oh, just the Skywalker saga. Okay, well, so- Solo goes in there anyway. Yeah. He doesn't care about your rules. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, this is... The middle is actually where it gets the most difficult. Hmm. Uh, the Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi uh, Revenge of the Sith So Which ones have we got left Um, The Force Awakens Rogue One The Last Jedi A New Hope Empire Sounds pretty Sounds pretty similar (laughs) I was going to say when this when this new trilogy started, I think our lists were quite separate, but they've yeah. almost been lining up as we've been talking to each other more about these films. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think the Force Awakens is still a, a great film. I just I think like there's yeah there's there's it relies more on nostalgia than what it does. But then mm. I think it's a it's a great achievement to set up what it does set up. Um, 
and there's a lot of thought to it and I think the the, the skill behind the filmmaking is is incredible. And as JJ Abrams likes evoking um Palpatine uh have you there it was like a reply on Twitter it was like the Star Wars fans to uh, to JJ Abrams after the Force Awakens you will pay for your lack of vision. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so would yours be the same? Mine would be something more like... I mean, at, again, this is at the moment. Hang on, I'm going I'm to write them down. And again, like, we, 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 I know we both think all the Star Wars films are pretty good. <laughs> it's a pretty solid franchise, all, all in all. Yes, well, for the most part. Like, the prequels will still have a bit of nostalgia glasses for us both. Yeah. But... I'm just going to say, the, the Attack of the Clones is just... The acting is just terrible. <laughs> and the dialogue is, at times, quite rapey. Yes. Which, so, you know, it's... I think we can still be fans... And you can be still be a fan acknowledge shortcomings or something. Yeah, for sure. Um, like, but, yeah. Th- that's an attitude that just needs to go away in certain... Because I think, I think you could look at... Because, like, The Last Jedi and Attack of the Clones, I, I will always retain, have similar flaws in that... I think there are good stories in both those movies, but I think sometimes the priorities slip from from the direction. Um, because the whole of Canto Bite, I know it has message, but I don't think the message is really put to screen incredibly well. Um, and same with Attack of the Clones in that I love Obi-Wan Kenobi's sort of storyline in that movie um, and where it culminates to in, in the action and the arena, but I think as you say, Anakin's side storyline is pretty atrocious. I would go something like Phantom Menace at the bottom, then Attack of the Clones, then A New Hope, then Rise of Skywalker, then Revenge of the Sith, then Force Awakens, then Return of the Jedi, then The Last Jedi, then Empire. But again, that's a very I've I've it's a fl- it's a it's an elastic band, isn't it? The Star Wars franchise that's always going to flex and change and context always changes a movie as well and at what time you watch it and where politically things stand and and all sorts but everyone can agree that Empire is the best Yeah. And at and the end of the day be. that's the conclusion that we all came here to hear <laughs> and then that's the last Star Wars movie so Empire will always be the best Star Wars movie because there's no more coming ever Disney have got their money's worth, they're just going to let the franchise die. So, that was a bit of a longer film review than usual, but it's Star Wars, so how could we not? (laughs) Uh, That about brings us to the end of the episode, so if you um, enjoyed, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. You can follow us at Cinemot Podcast on Twitter for updates. Uh, next week we are doing our favourite film, TV and video games of the decade. So actually, peek behind the curtain, we've already recorded that one. That one's going to go up on the 30th at about 6pm. Luckily, um, I don't think Rise of Skywalker would have made it into films of the decade it would anyway. Not. So. would not at all. <laughs> but that's just our opinion. The list is very... Uh, you know, very much our opinion. You can follow me at Inc on Twitter, uh, where I post about this plus other projects that I work on throughout the year. Nick, where can people find you? I'm at 
Mick Nortimer on Twitter. You can also follow our second Twitter handle, which is at NM Star Wars, which is where we're going to be posting content about Star Wars. We're making a new series about stuff that was in the canon and now is now not in the canon, and just going through and what should be back in the canon. Exactly. It's got a lot of cannons. Cannons. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> Till then, we'll see you next week for the, um, the mid-season finale of the Cinecotchmas podcast. But until then, I've been Phil. And I've been Nick. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.